My name is Susan Butler. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I have a frog in my throat. Um, as you know, the pastor is with the youth group in Florida. And um, the good news is, or I guess the bad news is he's not here. The good news is you'll be out before 12. And I, you know what? I was so planning on just walking right here to the front of the stage and going, Good morning, Geraldine, because she always yells up, Good morning, Susan. And I was so prepared for that. Tell her I missed her, please. Today I'm going to talk to you about the 23rd Psalm. Um, it's probably the most recorded psalm or most repeated or most used psalm of all the psalms that we have. Um, how many of you, raise your hand, if during some point in your life, children's church, adult church, whatever, got a cookie or a piece of peppermint for memorizing the 23rd Psalm? Okay, a good portion of you. All right, so what happens sometimes is we memorize those scriptures and we get to the point where we can just say it. And we can say it without even having any thought about what we just said. Like when I was in the first grade about 20 years ago, um, I learned the alphabet backwards. And I can still say the alphabet backwards, but you know what? When I say it, I have no idea if I've even said it correctly because I'm just saying it because I memorized it. Z-Y-X-W-V-U-T-S-R-Q-P-O-N-M-L-K-J-I-H-G-F-E-D-C-B-A. And sometimes we do that same thing with scripture. We learn it, we memorize it, and then we can just spit it out without having any effect on us. About 20 years ago, I was at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I heard a man named Dave Stone share about the 23rd Psalm. That particular day, the 23rd Psalm totally changed for me. I never saw it, never read it, Never participated in anything to do with it that it didn't, I didn't think back to that sermon. Because for the first time, I saw the amazing love of God. I saw all of the provision he's given us. I saw his character. I saw his heart. I saw his nature. But most of all, I saw how he views us. What he thinks about us. During this psalm, or as the psalm is, we'll go through it today line by line, it's going to talk about 17 different ways that the, the Lord has blessed us, is blessing us, and will bless us. So as we go through this psalm today line by line, I hope you will think about these provisions that God has made for us. But before we do that, let's do the 23rd psalm together. Let's say it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at that first line. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. We see God being our shepherd in this relationship, but then we see King David talking about how that relationship evolves. Because, you know, David was a shepherd himself. And in Israelite culture, a shepherd was considered lowly and usually was the youngest member of the family. And David was the youngest member of the family. And he was overlooked by his brothers and pretty much dismissed by his father. Now you got to remember, David was a shepherd, then he was a warrior, and then he became a king. But this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep paints a picture of a true relationship. And that's what David was focusing on. And you know, shepherds have a deep concern for their sheep. No one just goes over and says, hey, I have this flock of sheep, I want someone to shepherd. And the shepherd comes and takes them and takes them over. No, the shepherd chooses his sheep one by one by one by one, and that's what becomes his flock. He doesn't take over somebody else's sheep, and that's how God cares for us. He knows our comings and our goings. He knows every hair on our head. He knows when even one of us is lost, and he made provision through his son Christ so that we never have to be lost. In the parable of the lost sheep, In Luke 15, it says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. The next line is, I lack nothing. That's supply. God created us to need him and to have all of our needs met by him. He created us to need other sheep, too. If you're like me, you think you always, 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 always have to be in control. Are there any other control freaks out there? Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are lying. (laughs) What I need, what I really need, is to be cared for by my shepherd, And I really need to just climb up into the lap of my Abba Father and just be held. See, if we don't understand or if we don't learn to see ourselves as sheep in need of a shepherd, then we miss the big picture. We live in a lie that makes us think that we can do this thing all on our own. And we can't. There's no way that we can do it. We can't be our own source because we only find temporary satisfaction in artificial places that never fill the void in our life. So when David says, I lack nothing, he's acknowledging that he's completely reliant on God as his shepherd. He's saying that not only can God fulfill all of his needs, and notice he says needs, not wants. Sometimes we want things we don't need. God supplies all of our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I lack nothing. 
That is supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest. Sheep can lie down and rest no matter where they are, when they feel safe, and when they have a full tummy. Um, you know, we're safe with our shepherd even if our tummies aren't full sometimes, but we fail to, um, to realize the safety that we have in him. God will shelter us when we're in trouble, and sometimes it seems like we're in such a dark place and we don't feel safe. But, you know, sometimes if you just look up, you might realize that that's just the huge wing of God just sheltering you in that darkness right there for a minute. And it's not dark there because you're in a dangerous place, but you're in a very safe place under the wing of God. Fear will tell you every time that you can't, that you're not enough, don't trust God, he's not going to fulfill your needs. And insecurity, you know what insecurity does to you. So let me point out, fear is a liar. If you've ever heard the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Insecurity is a liar. So if you find yourself feeling insecure, you're afraid, you've been hearing those voices in your head saying you can't, you won't, you're not enough, you'll never make it, think about Isaiah 25.4 where God says, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storms, and a shade from the heat. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leads me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. Did you know that a sheep won't drink water if the river's moving too fast? If it's, if it's a rapidly flowing river, a sheep will not do it because they're too timid and they're afraid. So it's the shepherd's responsibility to find still waters for their sheep to drink from or their sheep will perish because they're not going to drink from a rapidly flowing stream. Sometimes I wish I could have a spiritual spa day. And what I mean by that is where I just lay in a green pasture beside the still waters and bask in the presence and power of God, not fearing, not worrying, not planning, not leading, but just being still and knowing that he's God. How many of y'all could use a day like that? I know I could hold up both hands because I sure could. God is over our problems. God is over our pain. He's bigger than any mountain that we face, and he's stronger than any power we think we possess. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He leads me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's healing. The psalm is talking about restoration, not rescue. Our shepherd rescued our soul from sin when Jesus died on the cross. But he restores our soul when we stray. When he restores our soul... He brings us back to Him. He brings us back from our ignorance, from our errors, from our wanderings. 
he brings us back to closeness with him again. But he also, when we come back from our wanderings, a lot of times he restores the things that we had that we didn't realize we needed. But he takes care of that. Do you know why he does it? Because every sheep matters to God. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will restore you to health and heal your wound, declares the Lord. He restores my soul. That's healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. What purpose is a path? What's the purpose of a path? What's the purpose of a path? Right, it leads you someplace. And how does a path become a path? Because people walk the same way over and over and over, and they wear earth down the earth, and they create a path. And so you know people have gone that direction before you, and you know that you can follow that path. So what is righteousness? It says, he leads me along right paths or righteous paths. Righteousness is being morally right or justified. So our shepherd guides us in a path of righteousness. Now keep in mind, he guides us. He does not drive us. He doesn't herd us like cattle. He leads us like sheep. There's a huge difference there between being herded and being guided. When we're connected to him, Hosea 11, 4 says that he draws us toward him with ropes of love. And he lovingly stays one step ahead of us on the right path. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake, that's purpose. Those four words, for his name's sake, should help us to understand that God takes his name very seriously. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. God's name is representative of his character, and God always acts according to his character and ultimately for his namesake. God forgives us for his namesake. He delays wrath to us for his namesake. And he leads us for his namesake. God explained it in Ezekiel when he said, It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do things, but for the sake of my holy name. Ezekiel 36, 22. For his namesake, that's purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is testing. When David wrote this line of the psalm, I believe he was looking at it from two perspectives. One, from the perspective of a sheep, a shepherd rather, a sheep second, a shepherd first, because he had led many sheep through valleys to get them to greener pastures. And he knew how timid and ignorant the sheep could be, especially when the valley grew dark. And he was familiar with the role of being a protector. Secondly, he also knew what it felt like to be the sheep, walking through the dark valleys of his own life. 
He knew how much he needed his shepherd to lead him, comfort him. David understood both perspectives, that of a sheep and a shepherd. Now notice he uses the word walk through. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Well, walk through is a verb. Means there's some action there. Doesn't mean that he goes to the valley to stay. A valley is a conduit. It has an opening and a closing, an entrance and an exit. So a valley is just a passageway that gets us from here to here. And a lot of times when we're in the middle of that valley, good grief, does it ever seem hard. And we think it's going to last forever. But we have to think about our valleys in light of 2 Corinthians when it says that these are temporary and momentary in our lives. They will not last forever. It will help you know that even when it's the most painful, it is not permanent. Especially in light of eternity. God can use our temporary valleys to create everlasting good in us and for us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil, that's protection. For you are with me, that's faithfulness. Nothing you fear is more powerful than your God. Say that with me. Nothing you fear is more powerful than your God. One more time. Nothing you fear is more powerful than your God. Do you believe that? Struggling with fear is universal. All of us struggle with it from time to time. And what I fear and what you fear are probably different, which makes it unique and personal to me and unique and personal to you. The verse tells us that don't be afraid because you were with me. Right away, it tells you that your fear already has a protector. You have a defender. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is the light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, God's presence is a fact. But I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't feel His presence. And probably if you were honest, you would say you don't feel His presence all the time either. Faith is not grounded on how you feel. But faith is grounded on the trust and the truth that you have in God's Word. We know God's Word is true. And if you're trusting it, then you can have faith. But also faith is uh, tied to the integrity of God's character. He's promised to be with us in all things, and God never breaks His promise. And although you may not feel His presence, you can absolutely know and trust that He is there. Do you believe that? Amen. I will fear no evil, that's protection, for you are with me, that's faithfulness. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a discipline. You know, discipline, this is a sidebar. Discipline is very different now from when I was a kid. 
Discipline when I was a kid was go get a switch off that bush. Now discipline is I'm going to take your phone for 30 minutes. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Anyhow, God's word tells us that discipline is necessary for training towards righteousness. No one likes to be disciplined. And as parents, we don't like to discipline our kids. But if we want them to grow up and be morally right, good, mannerly citizens, we have no choice but to discipline them. But we don't discipline them from anger. We discipline them because we love them. And that's how God does us. Through Scripture, God the Father teaches and leads us, His children, away from sin and towards holiness through His discipline. Psalm 94.12 says, Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. When it comes to sheep, they use the rod to firmly guide them. So they'd be walking and they'd get out of line and so they'd take that little rod and they'd bump them a little bit and get them to stay in line. But they used the staff. If one got away, they'd take the crook of the staff and reach over and get his neck real gently and pull him back over to the flock. And that's how they kept them all close together. And you know, even though they might have bumped them with that rod or tugged them in with that staff, they kept them all together. And, and sheep have security when they're with and in their flock. People who know sheep or have sheep would attest to that, that they like to stay together. Now, we can be secure and safe in God if we stay close to Him. And what you have to know is that He knows you, He sees you, He never leaves you. He's there 24-7, 365. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's discipline. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That's hope. Now, you think about your table, whether it's your formal dining room table or your kitchen table. Um, you probably uh, have conversation and coffee at that table. You might sit there to do your homework if you're a child or a student. Um, you might play games there as a family. Or you might just sit there and have a meal instead of at McDonald's, have it there. Or you might um, just sit there and spend time with people that you love. Well, in ancient Hebrew culture, a king or a wealthy benevolent person would host a huge feast. And they would invite the important and favored people of the community to come have a meal with them. Now, the interesting thing about this is when the king held the feast, he didn't hire or have one of his servants prepare the food. The king prepared the food himself. That's how big a deal it was for this feast, that he prepared the food for the guest he invited. And often they held these feasts outside so that people going by could see who was there but they could also see who was not there. You know, usually it wasn't the grumpy old man next door or some defeated enemy or some jealous mean person that was sitting at that banquet table, but it was people that were favored and honored by the king. It was a place of blessing and it was a place of communion. 
And that's how God's table is for us. It's his favor, his blessing, and his communion that's being extended to us. It's an invitation for us to partake of the good things of God. It's an opportunity to accept every provision that God has, to experience his protection, and most of all, just enjoy his pleasure. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. You anoint my head with oil. That's consecration. Anointing with oil was used to consecrate or set apart someone for special service, like kings or prophets. You remember in 1 Samuel, Samuel goes to Jesse's house, David's father, and he stands in front of every one of Jesse's sons and asks God, is this the one you want me to anoint? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? No, 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 no. Samuel says, Jesse, do you have another son? Oh, yeah, I got another son, but he's that shepherd boy out there. Samuel says, go get him. So that little shepherd boy comes in and God tells Samuel, that's the one I want you to anoint as king, David. You know, sometimes we see people who are being prayed for. And they'll take oil, make the sign of the cross on their head with the oil. You know, oil's mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. And most often it refers to anointing, just like I was saying. But it also is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. The presence and action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In those Hebrew customs, if you invited somebody special to your house, you would take olive oil and you would put sweet herbs, fragrant herbs, in the olive oil and mix it up. And you might sit them down and wash their feet in that fragrant olive oil because they're your honored guest. Or you might just put a little of that fragrant olive oil on the top of their head and all during the dinner it would just trickle down their neck, cooling them, but also the fragrance of the olive oil was just a great aroma around the table. Shepherds also anointed their sheep. Lice and other pests would get on those sheep, and it could be very dangerous, especially if they got in the sheep's ears. It could actually cause the sheep to die. So the shepherd would anoint the sheep's head so that the oil would trickle down and keep the pest and things out of their fur around their face and out of their ears. And when they did that, it was to help prevent distraction and to pre prevent destruction for the sheep so that they didn't die from the bugs being in their ears or they weren't distracted because they couldn't see. Now, if we're anointed in the Holy Spirit, I think that's going to reduce our distractions and our personal destructions too. When God anoints your head with oil, he's honoring you with the bounty of his blessing. He's overflowing your life with the fullness of his spirit. And he's reminding you once again that he chose you. He protects you. He calls you his own. You belong to the shepherd king. You anoint my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Scripture tells us God fills us with joy and peace. 
And then we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace causes thanksgiving to overflow. In 2 Corinthians 4.15 it says, All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. When we are at the table, God prepares for us. God fills us to overflowing. Then we overflow with joy, thanksgiving, love, hope, rejoicing, and praise. Do those things really characterize me? Do they characterize you? When our day gets jostled or our plans get turned upside down, what are our reaction? What spills out? Only what's inside can flow out. My cup runs over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. When David looked back over his life and he looked forward to his future, he settled on the truth that only two things had followed him and would follow him. He was certain, and it was true, that only goodness and mercy had followed him. And you think about, how could David say that? Because he didn't exactly have a clean track record. When David looked back over his life, he didn't see his sin. He saw God's mercy. He didn't see shame. He saw God's goodness. God blotted out his sins and created in him a clean heart, just like he prayed for in Psalm 51.10. His shepherd restored to him the joy of his salvation. The Lord renewed a right spirit in him and delivered him from his guilt. Where there was guilt, there was now goodness. Where there was mistakes, there was now mercy. God can do the same for you and for me. You may have shame or guilt or sin that follows you. God will forgive you, but you must forgive yourself. Scripture tells us that when God forgives our sins, he remembers them no more. And he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Ask God to forgive you, forgive yourself, and move on. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's security. Psalm 23 is a story. It's my story. It's your story. It's the story of you and your shepherd all the days of your life. Every scene, every single day of your life, God is with you. Before you, beside you, behind you. All the days of your life. Right now, we're living life right here on earth. But dwelling in the house of the Lord doesn't end when we die. It doesn't end with a slow ride to the church because heaven is our home, not here. The place Jesus prepares for us where there's no tears, no disease, no darkness. Heaven is the place of our true citizenship the place where we can look into our shepherd's face and serve him forever. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security. Forever, that's eternity. You know, just like this picture here, a lot of us may have a picture in our head of who we think God is. And it may not be a positive one. You may think of him as judgmental or grumpy or mean or out to get you. But I can assure you that that's not true. Psalm 23 paints a true picture of who God is. The Lord is our shepherd. He gives us rest. He gives us healing. He gives us hope. He gives us protection. He gives us guidance. And all through faith in Christ, every one of us can live in the house of the Lord forever if you make that decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. That's eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being my shepherd, the one who leads my life. Stand on the hillsides, Lord, where I can clearly see you. Don't let me miss you. And as a sheep, I will look to you, listen to your voice, and follow you, all of your leadings. I trust you to be the good shepherd, the wise shepherd, the loving shepherd, and the strong shepherd in my life. Thank you for providing food, shelter, water, breath, and life. I'm so grateful for your goodness, love, mercy, and kindness. Because of you, I lack nothing. Lord, thank you for also taking me beside some still waters to be refreshed, renewed, and restored. Stillness can be a challenge for me at times. So help me learn how to rest in you. Would you deeply restore my soul and all of our souls and reignite our passion for life, for our families, for ministry, and for following you wholeheartedly? And Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Thank you for reconciling me to yourself through the sacrifice of your son on the cross. Because of his death, I'm invited to dwell with you forever. So it's sweet to know that this life on earth is not the end. This is only just the beginning. I get to spend eternity with you, and it's my privilege to get to live with you forever. Thank you for this gift, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you again for being the most amazing shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.